everybody. Welcome to another episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. There is AKA Brad right there. And, uh, you know, on this one, we got to break out the fine China, man. We got a, we got a guest in the building as we uh, talk about one of our favorite directors, Satoshi Kon. Um, I want to introduce this person. This is a, a person in my field that I know, um, a film critic, a film enthusiast, a Kate Bush enthusiast. Um, Molly, how how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. No, no worries at all. No problem at all. We we love for you to we love to for guests to join us that mm-hmm. love the films we're talking about. Even the ones that even hate them too. You know. Oh yeah. Sometimes that gets the best reactions. Oh, and, trust us, we know. The yeah. terrible movies that you love to hate always end yes. up to be the most fun. Of course, of course. So, tell the people a little bit about yourself. What do you, uh, you know, what do you, how, do, how do you like? How do you interact with film? What do you do? Well, I come from more of the scholarly background, so I'm one of those. I guess you could say what. The, the TikTok film Twitter people think actual film Twitter is when it's really not. Even, <laughs> even though I would be totally fine with seeing, seeing a, a movie about the revolution, Slovenia, seen through the eyes of a squirrel, because that sounds dope as hell. <laughs> that was the example I remember from filters. Like, it's like the shocked face when he watches the see a film about a revolution it's seen through the eye point a vision of a squirrel or a pigeon and i was like that sounds dope as hell i want to watch that and I'm like oh i am in that category right there <laughs> but i have two film degrees actually one okay. bachelor's and one master's and one thing i will suggest for people if you want to go for master's in film go to a place that will pay you that's just my big suggestion like i did so then you're not yeah. going to go in too much debt because you may not get into the field you want to, unfortunately, but that's just how it rolls and everything. But I don't regret it. I don't regret any of that stuff. I love seeing my viewpoints on film and seeing that. And I love also seeing everyone else's viewpoints and love, love taking that in turn and looking through the scholarly analysis of film. But also I just love film and I just enjoy it. And, Random, but you are the second podcast that has mentioned me as a Kate Bush enthusiast, and I'm kind of loving it. <laughs> it's all over your social. Every time I, I hit up your Twitter, <laughs> I see nothing but Kate Bush, and I'm like, this girl is ride or die Kate Bush, man. I am. I have been even more now, but I've been a fan of her since I was 19, even before Stranger Things. So, so I yes, and in America, it's mostly mostly that. Who is Kate Bush? And you bring up things like, oh, running up that hill or this woman's work. Oh, you mean the placebo and Maxwell song? And you're just like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. But now Stranger Things has changed that. Thank goodness. I even if you guys can't see, I have a poster of her right here for Lionheart. So her second album. Oh, OK. Hmm. I so, see yes. that La Dolce Vita in the background, too. Oh, yes. Yes, I do. And one for Jack Hill for an event I had at my at my undergrad with exploitation filmmaker Jack Hill, who directed Coffee, Foxy Brown, and and Spider Baby, and oh wow, basically launched Pam Greer's career. 
and he was such a nice guy and everything. And I got to see them on the big screen. It was fantastic. And he was a very nice. nice individual. So that was fun. So I have that poster and it's signed and I'm never getting rid of it. Oh, that's awesome. So, yes. That is awesome. Um, all right. Well, that's awesome. So uh, today, Brad, looks like we got a good one here. The first time we hit up Satoshi, we were talking about uh, it was it was perfect blue and mm-hmm. paprika. Yep, we went over yeah. both of those uh, complete mind thrillers of movies that he <laughs> came up with. Oh, absolute yes. master! Well, mm-hmm. everything Satoshi Kon touches is an absolute masterpiece. Of course. And today we will be going over two of his other movies that he had: mm-hmm. uh, Millennium Actress, as mm-hmm. well as Tokyo Godfathers. Which yes. Tokyo Godfathers is actually the one that people seem to know the most, especially here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, being able to touch on this one is a big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that was the first one I kind of heard of. Like this is my, this is my first time seeing either of these this episode. But oh, like nice. Tokyo Godfathers, I'd always heard of that film, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I heard that's like a classic like animated film, but I never mm-hmm. like really watched it. Mm-hmm. Um. How you how you want to do this, Brad? How you want to do this today? Uh, I think it's only fair that we go chronological in this one, starting with Millennium Actress. Mm-hmm. Chronological. All right, it's a little. All right, we can do it. A little controversial, yes. but okay. We don't always do chronological, but we'll do a sense of guest is here. Yeah, there's a first time for everything. Yeah. Right. Right. All right, man. You wanna you wanna take over Millennium, and I'll I'll do the Tokyo for a quick synopsis. Yep, so I can take care of Millennium Actress. So from the brilliant mind of Satoshi Khan, we have Millennium Actress, which follows the story of Chiyoko, a huge actress in this world that is being interviewed by two people, Genya and Kyoji, who have gone to her place to kind of find out her life story as an actress, as well as Genya's opportunity to return an heirloom of hers that he had come across and wanted to make sure to bring back to her in, uh, her old age. So after 30 years of being completely outside of the spotlight, she is for the first time allowing somebody to interview her, which allows these two people to go through her life story as it interjects between her real life and her life as an actress in the movies that she played. And that is the basis synopsis for this synopsis for this movie. Dude, I gotta admit, when I first was watching this, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> I I tried my best to focus. I said, okay, we 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 seeing her as a kid. Now I'm seeing them when she's a kid. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is part of going through her life. Then I'm like, wait a minute, she's in a movie now. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, I like like the thing about Satoshi Kone is like you you never really know what's reality and you know what's not mm-hmm. reality in most of his pictures. And like in this one's like a, a firm. Like, like, like kind of like a firm component of that. You know what I mean? Like uh, when he first shows up to the house and he's like um, the assistant directors like, uh, hey, you know, isn't this uh, woman a little old? She never ages. I'm like, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. No. But as as you go through her life, she she ages, but she's like mm-hmm. eternally like young. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Hence the title Millennium Actress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it took me a while to kind of catch on to that one, too. Mm-hmm. But um, Brad, this this your first time seeing this? Oh no, not not at all. 
uh it's satoshi khan you know there's a reason that i've recommended his movies multiple times because i absolutely love him as a director and a writer Mm -hmm. and as you mentioned with the way that this movie flows which going into reality versus her movies and everything like that and we see it all kind of from this perspective of the two interviewees as they're almost documenting her life as it's happening Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. seeing all these different kind of points in her life where you don't know, hold on, is this real or is this a part of the movie as it kind of Mm -hmm. weaves in and out of both? Mm Yeah, uh, Molly, this um, how many times have you seen this movie? This is actually my third time seeing it. I first saw it in undergrad and it was my first Satoshi Kon film. I watched this in together with perfect blue and this was the first one i saw and but this was the first time i watched the english dub i decided to check out the english dub for both of these just because there's some purists who are just like you have to watch them all in the japanese version i say i want to see the intricacies and how they adapt this to english that's down to preference yeah exactly and I first became interested in the film because I heard it was inspired by one of my favorite Japanese actresses of post-war cinema, Japanese cinema, which is what her Chiyoko's main main film stardom happened. It was post, post-World post War II Japanese cinema. And that's where you had Kurosawa, Kenji Mitsuguchi, and mm-hmm. Yas- Yasujiro Ozu, who is the director I'm mostly thinking about because it was Setsukahara who is the main actress that inspired the character right here. And I had been obsessed with her almost like Genya a little bit with Chiyoku because I first saw her in Kurosawa's adaptation of Dostoevsky's The Idiot because I was a huge Mm -hmm. fan of Dostoevsky. So just string theory right here Mm -hmm. going to that. And and I started watching her films a lot, including Tokyo Story, Late Spring, which is my favorite, and is on Science Sound's greatest film poll. I think it's in the top 10, and that's Yosujiro Ozu's. That's in, that's the highest rated Yosujiro Ozu film besides Tokyo Story. Mm-hmm. And watching her, and she's just so magnetic. You can't help but fall in love with her. And much like Chiyoku, she never married. And after Yasujiro Ozu died, she retired. She retired in middle age and went to recluse reclusivity. And and it was nobody knew she died in, at 95 until two years after her death. I was shocked when I first heard it. I was just like, what? Because she never gave interviews. She never spoke to anybody. And it was this question of what happened to this enigma? enigmatic woman and i actually really connected with gin in this film because i was just like oh i had this parasocial relationship with this woman too and that there are these actresses and you're thinking they do never grow up and they do never age and you just want to love them and protect them and i think a lot of actresses are like that and setsukahara is one of mine definitely and that's why I became engrossed by this film and why it's probably my favorite Satoshi Kon film because it really understands obsession and kind of it's a, like a love letter to acting. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And yeah, yeah. And Satoshi Kon loves looking at obsessions in his work, including or even 
paranoia agent, I think, is the apotheosis of obsession and living. I still got to watch that one. And denial. Oh, it's fantastic. And that's the series, and, right? Yes. I'll get him to watch it eventually. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. It's on and our it, list, I think. Yes. And it's fascinating to look at because if you haven't noticed in a bunch of his films, he really dislikes the otaku culture, subculture, even though in Paprika, he he got to that point where he's like, yes, I, I understand a lot of my fans are like this. So I at least like some of them, but mm. it is very much there. And this is one of his films where obsession is actually played very heartwarming and you don't really see that in Satoshi Khan's films. It's where obsession and living, trying to live in fantasy and this. It can be dangerous. Exactly. Very dangerous. Exactly. And that's a lot of what Satoshi Khan's work is. But this one, it's yeah. the opposite where it's, it's healthier. Of, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a mm-hmm. lot of heart behind this. I, I like mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, the relationship between Genya and um and uh, Chuyoko. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Say it again. No, I just realized I mispronounced his name. Genya, you're right. Genya, yeah, yeah, yeah. Genya we butcher names all yes. the time. It's it's not a big deal. <laughs> yes. yes. It's, it's always like that here. But um, you know, there's a there's a level of respect there. And it's like I don't know if obsession is the right word, but I, I would say like if if it is such a word to use, it's a healthy amount of obsession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like like you said, the film is a love letter to acting. Mm-hmm. But um on the levity side of things, I just love like like Koyoji's role in all of this. Mm-hmm. There be times where he's just filming, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You, you telling me we in a movie right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's moments where like you know like like stuff's hitting the fan and they're fighting yes. and there's battles and you know Genya's Genya's getting involved with the fight. Like I love how Genya is like about yes. it, about it. This whole movie. Like willing to die for his uh, favorite actress's honor, and Koji's on the side with the camera. Like, hey, it's your funeral. I'm just filming. Yes, it. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, I even love when they show how they're actually talking to each other, and they're actually playing out like the roles from mm-hmm. the film as well in the interview and everything. Mm-hmm. And Kyoji's kind of just sitting off to the side, going, "Yeah, okay, so this is what we're doing. I guess this is yeah, this guess is how so. we're doing yeah. it." <laughs> I just roll the field. Let's let's just go with this. Right. <laughs> I like the little comments he makes uh, towards every time Genya shows up with a new costume or something. He goes, oh, that fits you, boss. Yeah, yeah that role fits you, boss. <laughs> you go, boss. Yeah. I think you're in the wrong uh, period piece at this point. <laughs> yeah. Or I was waiting to see where you would show up. Mm-hmm. Now, the whole thing with the key um, you know, I felt like it, it was a nice thing to kind of keep the plot going to go like, OK, mm-hmm. where does the key lead to? Who is this mysterious guy and all that? Yeah. Um, by the end, I kind of felt like, I don't know, I kind of was a little disappointed by the end. What did y'all what did y'all feel like? I didn't feel like there was much. I didn't feel like there was a resolution I kind of wanted about <laughs> the key and what it meant. Yeah. Well, so- I saw the Oh. oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I saw the key as um, not only this nostalgia piece for Chiyoko, but it was it was certainty that her her passion, I don't want to call it well, it's a love. She's in love with love. She barely knows this guy. And she's created right. this fantasy of who he is. She just knows he's a painter from Hokkaido Hokkaido. And that's about it. And he's and she saved his life. And so she's she's chasing a shadow and 
the key is reformation that, oh, what we had could have been real. And it's actually happened because I'm pretty sure mm. if no one else saw the key, no one, everybody else would probably be like, oh, she's she's just imagining this. This is just an imagine that just girl just thinking some making something up. But that's just proving that maybe there is something true to this love. And maybe there is something there that she needs to return to. And also the key is why she is a big reason why she goes to the film industry to try to for him to find her again. And mm. I actually thought it was a great resolution. I thought it would be very disappointing if she turned out to have found the guy in the end. Or because she even says, I turned middle age. I don't want him to remember me as anything about this little girl, which I think harkens back to a lot of how we see a lot of women in cinema that we don't like seeing them aged. That's why we just replace them with younger and younger actresses. And that's unfortunately a real thing that we have a real stigma against women growing older and we have to combat that and we have to look at that so i gotta admit i i do kind of get sad when i see i know it's a part of life i do kind of get sad when i see denzel age i'm like man he ain't ain't, ain't man on fire denzel no more like i can't I, i can't i can't watch the equalizer and take him as a a charismatic, intimidating figure anymore. I'm like, no. he's, he's 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 Uncle Denzel now. I can't I can't, can't watch be, this. He can't be easy Rollins anymore. That's the right. sexiest he's ever been in a movie. And I'm like, he can't be easy Rollins anymore. He's too <laughs> old now. I'm sad. <laughs> right. All right, Brad. Yeah. You was about to say something about the key. Yeah, uh, a lot of uh, what Molly touched on with the fact that she was more in love with chasing the idea of this mysterious person than the person himself. So her even kind of at the end when uh, she passes away, she even says that she was in love with the chase, not Mm -hmm. the person himself, which shows that that was something for her to grasp onto to kind of give her hope and give her a drive to do something. So the key did have a purpose in her life. It it was the one point that she was like, she became an actress because she wanted him to be able to see her and hopefully come back into her life. She pursued the career to be like a huge person in the world in order to be able to finally be viewed by this person for that opportunity. And then when the people kept arriving in her life throughout it, that she would meet and everything, she would kind of always push it aside because she had this one goal in mind. Mm-hmm. And eventually she did lose the key and it comes back to her again and then she loses it again. And that's up until the point when uh, Genya brings it back to her at the end when she even says, it's thanks to this key that I have the memories to be able to talk to you about my life. You know, this is the one point in my life that I can put everything to. See, now I I like that part. Now, I I like the part of this whole chase being the main motivation behind her career. Mm. I, I, I like how the film frames that. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not living to act. I'm acting to live. Right. I'm doing these roles as a way of like, you know, pushing me forward in life. Like, you know, this is like this is something that fuels my passion of finding this man, understanding this key. But this is what I do to process my, I guess, my loss, my loss of this man. You know, I guess Mm -hmm. it's part of processing her grief of like not being able to find this man that that, Mm -hmm. that gave her this key. 
No, I, I feel like there, there are layers to this film, man. I can tell after one watch, you know, I might need repeat viewings to like mm-hmm. really deconstruct everything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't even know about the actress that that you named, Molly, that uh, <laughs> inspired this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Satoshi always takes a lot of kind of influence from real life for his movies, mm-hmm. whether it be f- something from like a psychological standpoint mm-hmm. or something right. from his life or from the mm-hmm. people that he looks up to in the media he enjoys. Uh, you see a lot of that, especially in Paprika with like the media mm-hmm. that he enjoys and the kind of like movies that he enjoys get kind of incorporated into mm-hmm. there a little bit. Yeah, because it's 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 about how film um what it says with some some critics on here. Like it's about how film rests in our subconscious, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like whether we admit it or not, cinema is escapism for the most mm-hmm. part, but there are moments we love in cinema that rest in our subconscious, you know, mm-hmm. and whether it be the actresses, a director's piece of like like work, you know, there are these moments that we carry with us, whether it be a quote from a favorite movie or a line or a scene from a favorite movie or watching a movie with our kids or our young nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and sharing that experience, you know, that um that rests within our minds. And I feel like that's like that's Satoshi's like um part of his salute in this film, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad this didn't have a dark ending because I was expecting some perfect blue kind of mic drop. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh no, is everyone gonna die? Yeah. Like, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the, uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess, bittersweet conclusion we got here. What a uh, what about you, Molly? I think this was the best way to end the film, from from the particular view. And once she revealed her story, what else was there for her to do? Because I kind of have the theory that she knew in her subconscious that there is a chance the painter died because police were already after him. And she, but she always knew that the chase was better and that that's what she cared about more because she never really explores what she would have done if she met him again. There's no imaginations of her getting married to him for the most part. Nothing like that. Mm-hmm. We don't even see that. So so we have to wonder, wonder, did she know or have the inkling all this time that he had been killed? Killed especially after World War II and after she had been in that film career so long. Because otherwise, he went, he didn't come to her. Cause, and she was in all the movies. She was a bona fide movie star. And random. Yeah. Book, it's, it's also fascinating to watch this film when movie stars are kind of dying. And it's entirely about the that obsession with a movie star. How does that make you guys feel? So we know there's been some discussion about Marvel and movie stars and Tarantino's <laughs> two cents with that. You know, it just happened to just come yes. up around this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this is a perfect time to watch this movie then. Uh, see, <laughs> I I do agree that the Marvel and DC films don't create movie stars. They create mm-hmm. superheroes. Yes. I do think there are exceptions to the rule. Like, I think mm-hmm. RDJ made Iron Man. I don't think yes. Iron Man mm-hmm. made RDJ. Yes, like, I agree we, with that one. You, you were going to a Robert Downey Jr. movie. You just happened to go to a great Marvel movie in the process. Mm-hmm. Chadwick and Black Panther are a little, that's a little dicey. Because I feel like even when you see the new Black Panther movie, it doesn't feel the same without Chadwick. Yeah. And when you see Chadwick, you see Black Panther, but you also see Chadwick. You know, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I feel exactly. like that was, 
Yeah. Whereas Captain America, that's a Captain America movie. It's yeah. not a Chris Evans movie. Yeah, no. So, yeah, it is. It is a little different. There, there are, mm-hmm. The movie star is becoming extinct. You know, Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is Tom, Tom Cruise still walks the earth in cinema. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt still walks the earth in cinema. But mm-hmm. those names, you know, what I'm saying like, like, do you see a Brad Pitt being replaced by Austin Butler? No, not at all. No, uh-uh. You know what I mean? No. Or, you know, even a Tom Holland replacing a Jew Law. You know what no. I mean? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, movie stars, it, it, what do you think, Brad? I mean, we make the jokes all the time that people don't see the, you know, person behind the character anymore. They just see the character, you know, mm-hmm. like with the recent uh, Weird Al movie. Oh, hey, Harry Potter's in this movie. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> You don't really have the big movie stars anymore. You just have the mm-hmm. characters that they embodied, and that's all that people see now. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for somebody to be out of that kind of groove. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Exactly. Uh, any more thoughts before we uh, cap this off and go to the next one? Uh, I do really want to talk about t- one of the scenes in the movie where we kind of get into when uh it was genya started working at kind of the movie studio and yes. was actually yes. working with uh, chioko for a long period mm-hmm. of time the intern yes as the intern and that was a nice revelation it saved her life at one point yeah and chioko kind of going how is it possible that i've been so blind to not notice the person in front of me is the very person that saved my life mm-hmm. though all those years ago you know, and it, it kind of puts it a little bit more into perspective. A lot of why Genyo was so obsessed with her and everything like that, yeah. because he literally got to see her rise from a first person stance in mm-hmm. the industry and everything and saw it as it slowly, you know, grew further and further before she just disappeared from, you know, the world entirely. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Yes. And I think that's a common occurrence with a lot of celebs. And it's surprising when it's not. There's a mm-hmm. story of Joan Crawford having to work with the young Steven Spielberg. He's He was 24 at CBS Studios in this mm-hmm. episode. And she thought, thought to herself, oh, God, I'm being directed by this kid and everything. But he impressed her so much. And she told them and the producer said, keep an eye on that one. He's going places. And mm-hmm. and that's just rarely happens because you don't think about the intern most. Most of these people don't. They don't think about the production assistants or who's carrying their umbrella or who's bringing bringing that stuff because you know they're just as vital to the crew as the star is because without them yeah. they wouldn't get made. So it's fascinating to see that. And also the foreshadowing in this film is spectacular, spectacular. Oh, where yeah. mm-hmm. where yeah. Genya stops when the policeman stops him in one flashback. And it's supposed to foreshadow with that cop cop that would, who brings in the realization that he killed that painter. Cause he was stopping to chat with him in the movie sequence right there. Mm-hmm. And Satoshi was already doing that. And also, I'm not sure if you guys noticed the crane symbolism in the movie. There are a lot of cranes in this movie, which in Japanese culture, I I'm didn't sure. Notice that. Yes. You see it on the truck. You see it in um, some of the movies and everything. And, I'm not sure if you guys ever read or were traumatized by the thousand paper crane story. 
if you guys, nah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> that is the the true story of this young Japanese girl who was a baby when Hiroshima was was bombed, but she developed leukemia mm. from that from radiation when she was seven, and she was told if she made a thousand paper, if there was a thousand paper cranes she made, she could get a wish, and she spent her days in the hospital dying of dying of radiation, creating these paper cranes, and this is a real person too. And she still died oh, wow. and didn't even finish the cranes. And so everybody else made it for her. There's a statue for her and everything. Just look at Thousand Paper Cranes and you'll see it. Because cranes are are symbols of wishes and immortality, which mm. makes sense because the stars are immortal. And why the crane That's is That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, new guys weren't traumatized by that story. I was traumatized at an elementary school and that's also well, why here in elementary, well, I imagine yeah, being it, traumatized. Yeah, Nowadays, it's like, it's like oh man, that's, that's a beautiful, heartbreaking story. But in elementary, I'd be like, well, what? Why didn't she finish the crates? I know. I was just like, if she finished those crates, she could have lived. But yes, right. that's what I always think about when I think of crane symbolism because that's very high that's strong japanese symbolism for immortality and wishes so i always noticed was like oh it's a crane it's a crane in japan so yeah wow. so next time you watch it look out for the crane symbolism yeah i definitely plan on giving this repeat watches for sure um yeah man uh so much to unpack in this one uh pretty great first watch for me i think it's uh mm-hmm. A very well done film, you know. Uh, I, I put it in the same vein as Perfect Blue, not as dark, but very like well done. Um, okay, so this, this is around the part where we give our ratings like like out of five on a scale of one to five, and I uh, I, I I got this one at like a four for the first time mm-hmm. watch. What, what you got, Brad? I, I have this one as a four point five. The imagery in this one, the storytelling, the way that it blends in all the characters that are there. Uh, even with uh, Kyoji and his kind of third party kind of commentary throughout the entire thing is kind of nice. But seeing how it, it all blends in with the story and the message and everything, I, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. What I you think, got, Molly? I think I'm going to do about the same, about 4.5. Perfect Blue just nearly edges it out to perfect Satoshi Kon film, film. And I think. Even though I still, it's my favorite Satoshi Kon. I am that kind of person that's just like, it's my favorite, but I don't think it's the best, if that makes sense. But yes, I just think it's perfect. That's also the first collaboration he had with his his main composer, Susumi Hirazawa. The experimental, the experimental electronica musician. That's why you got all those, that fantastic score, Mm -hmm. scores that... He just has in all the films after with Satoshi Kon, which I think his best work is probably Paprika, because it's just it's just perfect. Oh yeah, that's so, a great yeah. score. Mm-hmm. So yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, time to move on to the next one. We got a uh, Tokyo Godfathers here, man. Now this is a one that I feel like's been chasing me my whole life. I just never sat down to actually watch it. Um, but just to give a brief synopsis, we got a. Uh, Written and directed by Satoshi Kon, 2003. So this film, um, inspired by a film from 1948 called Three Godfathers. This is about a film about um, three transients. You know, we got uh, we got one woman that's a, a young girl that's a runaway um, named Mayuki. We have a, a transgender woman named Hana. 
we got a um, a middle aged uh, drunkard named Jen. Um, on Christmas Eve, they come across a newborn, um, you know, uh, in hidden in you know trash, uh, and they try to decide like, okay, what should we do with this thing? You know, like, should we care for it? You know, <laughs> Hannah wants to care for it. Jen thinks they shouldn't have anything to do with it. Mayuki is just freaked out. Uh, but eventually they decide we, we have to find this this baby's parents. Uh, so in a nutshell, quick synopsis, this film is about the the odyssey of these three people, um, their past, how they came to be homeless and trying to figure out the identity of this baby and how it got where, where it came from, how it ended up like this. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. So also my first watch on seeing this film and. This was just lovely, man. I, I felt like this whole film was just a great, unpredictable ride. You know, I felt like it was um, a very heartfelt movie. Uh, but I, I like that it, it wasn't one note the entire time. I like that this film, I was like, okay, so this is kind of like a, uh, this is like this is like the odd couple times three, like like <laughs> basically like like three odd three odd people and a baby is basically what this is. But I like how it went on, you know. Like Satoshi Kon, like he has the layers. There are the layers being shown in these characters. And I, um, as we delve deep into the past of each of these uh, characters, I said, like, dude, this is a this is a good movie. And as the plot went along, the plot was like pretty unpredictable too. Like it, it was it, it was something to behold here, Brad. I know this ain't your first time seeing this, is it? Oh, not at all. Uh, again, this is. I think when I first started trying to find a way to throw some like anime movies into the mix, this was one of the first ones that I had on the list. It was just that this is a December movie it, because it literally is a Christmas movie with it taking place on Christmas to New Year's. So it, it had to wait until then. But this movie is absolutely fantastic in every way that I can think when it comes to the way that they have the three homeless people described with their own kind of backgrounds and reason for them being in that situation. You have Jin, who is that kind of deadbeat person that got addicted to gambling, ruined his family's life and decided to run away. You have mm -hmm. Miyuku, who or Miyuki, who believes that she has ruined her relationship with her parents and everything after a misunderstanding led to her stabbing her father and running away. And then you have Hannah, who literally feels like she doesn't belong anywhere in the world because she made mistakes in her life and she was originally abandoned as a child herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Molly, what was like um, when you first saw this film or just rewatching it right now? What's what's your initial reactions and in, um, revisiting it? Well, I will say this is my third time watching it. And this is actually nice. the Satoshi Khan film I've seen in a theater because they always they play this film a lot in the, the independent theaters near near me be, during Christmas time, especially because it's one of those unconventional Christmas movies mm -hmm. they really love and they always want to bring it in. In fact, my local Alamo draft house is going to be playing it on Monday, the 12th. And I've never been to an Alamo ever. <laughs> oh, it's pretty fun. It's pretty nice. And it's and this told. Is so one I checked first time I checked the English dub and this was the GQ the G Kids English dub. And mm -hmm. if you haven't aren't aware, they act they do 
I think they do a much better job with the English dubs than Disney ever did. Because, well, first off, Hana is, in this version, voiced by a transgender actress, which I don't think okay. happened before, not even in the original Japanese. Japanese and her foster mother is voiced by gender theorist Kate Borenstein, who wrote a very seminal text on transgender and gender perspective called Gender Outlaw in 1995 or 98. So very early on. In fact, I even posted on Twitter and said someone must have been a gender studies theorist or someone really, really did a lot of research and they wanted to be as and they wanted to be very, very considerate of a lot of trans viewers and people who care about trans issues watching that film, because I know a Mm -hmm. lot of trans people who love anime and anime is an Mm -hmm. escape for a lot of queer people. And it just warms my heart to see G kids care so much about that. And if you've watched Belle, the voice actress they got to play the titular character, she was just a New York, New York stage actress, not even on Broadway, Broadway. And they heard her sing in a, in a club and they, and they said, or a cafe, and they said, we really want you to audition for this role. And that's how she got it. Got it. And she's just a perfect match for that. And they they did a tremendous job. But it's also heartwarming to see how well Hana, well, at least Hana's never dead named in this movie. We never know what her what her assigned name at birth was mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. she was when she was considered male. Male and I love that perspective, especially from a 2003 film when yeah. you will see a lot of NCIS stuff or episodes where all the prostitute, the sex worker is going to be revealed to have had a penis. And it's like this huge shock, like, oh, my God. <laughs> or, or like the, a sleepaway camp or something. I know, or, right. the, or the guy finding out the girl, the girl he wants to get with this trance and they go to throw up. That was a a big one in the 80s and 90s and you're just like guys it's just a it's just a penis do you throw up at your own dick i'm just like i question you question you like come on people come on people but yeah and it's it's a very nice perspective on that and to see that they're more than just beyond homeless there mm. that's not their only attribute and so right. He mentioned in an interview, I read this, he didn't want people to just see them as homeless. They are three-dimensional people and there are situations that occur. It's not there. Mostly it's not because they're what people think. They're lazy. They're... They don't right. care. They, they do got fired care. or... Yeah, they yeah. care too much, actually, is the issue there because because Gen feels he's ruined everything with the gambling debts he racked up. So he's so ashamed of himself and has lost his pride, especially in the Japanese society, that patriarchal pride that comes in, mm-hmm. comes in that's very highly See, there. Mm-hmm. I think Gen, like... He's the one character where I'm like, dude, you didn't really need to run away. Like, like, I, okay, I, I understand Hannah and I understand Mayuki and, and like, I understand them. But it's like, him, I'm like, dude, you, like, you didn't need to run away. Like, I love when Hannah, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I like when Hannah's yeah. like, when she realizes why he really ran away. Yeah. She said, uh, she said, you told me it was because of this. He says, oh, you know, I, I, she says, you, you, you told me you were involved with the games. Well, I was at the track. No, you said you were a professional bike racer. Well, I was at the track every day. 
<laughs> right. She's like, you lied to me. And it's like, but that's kind of how he is, though. You know, he 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 is he 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 tells lies for his past to kind of like um try to rationalize his past instead of like owning up like you know it it was shame it was shame and he knew that people wouldn't pity him uh if they knew the true story i racked up gambling debts and i felt so ashamed of making my family go into debt that i ran away yeah no one's gonna pity you and he has to earn respect back in the film with the little baby kyoko that just Mm -hmm. literally runs Falls in them every single time they find the baby in the dumpster. I just did you guys ever see the episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? The gang finds oh, a dumpster yeah. baby. <laughs> I'm always just like Tokyo Godfather. Okay, the gang finds a dumpster baby. <laughs> I'm like, oh poor Kyoku, the baby. <laughs> I I like the levels that this goes through, uh, plot wise as we move along. Not just going into their backstory, but like um, I just I just love how unpredictable this film is. Like you know, at at one point where um, uh, they're uh, they're at the cemetery, you know what I'm saying? Like um, they're they're trying to find the clues or whatever. Then they end up at a uh, at a party being thrown by um a yakuza boss. It was a wedding, wasn't it? It was yes. the was wedding, it? his daughter's yeah. wedding. Mm-hmm. It was a wedding, and then J- Gin sees somebody, and you know it's about to you know pop off at one point, and then you know um uh you know some guy shoots somebody I'm yeah you have the radicalist that was going after right. the uh mob boss mm-hmm. and then that radicalist ends up taking uh kyoko and miyuki to his kind of house i guess with his mother right. there and yeah th- this movie constantly is driving all over the place mm-hmm. with its plot and it all still feels very tight at the same time because yes. it's constantly it like a live action movie. Yes. Yeah. It feels very live action. Like if this was live action, this would be, I mean, but that's the thing. It's great. Cause it's animated and feels like a live action movie. But if this was live action, this would be lit. It's already lit, but mm-hmm. it would be really lit, but go ahead. Yeah. It, just the way that everything kind of intertwines with each other as well, because like you said, Jin runs into people that uh, or the guy that put him up for that last bet that throw threw him into so much debt at that wedding. And then meanwhile, we get introduced to Hannah's mother, who is, you know, also kind of a uh, I, I guess that's like a drag queen kind of place that they go to. And I think it's we kinda... that she's trans as well. As I, well. I believe so, but I think that the place that she's at is like a drag queen kind of bar, yes. if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. And yes. so we kind of get introduced to them that way. And then they just happen to have found Jin after he got beat up by some kids after he they had been, you know, separated from each other. And you, you see just all these kind of like weird coincidences of how these people are getting brought back together in these scenarios. And it, it's Christmas miracle. It, it's always a Christmas miracle. Yes. It's also yeah, just- that rare depiction of Japanese Christian Christian traditions, because Japanese, as you've seen from the movie, if you ever watch the movie Silence by Martin Scorsese, where Japanese yeah. Christians were a persecuted class and it's still a very small number of Japanese Christians in society mm-hmm. and their practice. And it's fascinating to see it treated with a sort of reverence in that regard. And 
of course, I think the most famous Japanese Christian I can name of is Toshiro Mifuni, who was Methodist, which I found surprising because I grew up Methodist. So I'm just like, huh, that's surprising considering that's not even Catholic. So, but yeah, yeah, and you have have that entail entail with that. And there's also this change in the English dub they brought in where they find Gen. He's in this dress and everything, and Miyoko. In the original Japanese, she says something just like, oh, you've been gay this whole time. I knew it, that sort of thing. But <laughs> this one, she, she says in the English show, she's like, is there something you want to want to tell us? Tell us? <laughs> like, except very teasingly, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And not being, like, homophobic about it, about it, which I really appreciated. Appreciate. Right with that just like oh they i like that change i like that perspective you bring in and of course it's also a perspective that's not a very protected part of japan even though it is fetishized a lot and of course men cross-dressing and drag queens have always been a part of japanese culture no theater no theater had women playing had men always playing the women parts mm-hmm. and it's always been very common Funeral Parade of Roses starred an actual drag queen who also played the fool in Akira Kurosawa's Ron, where he they they cross dressed as well as in women's clothing. You mean Ran? Ran, yes, Ran. That's right. So oh, okay. it's always been a part of that cultural space, but it's kind of looked down upon, and especially. And there are still a lot of trans people in Japan that are persecuted, and Japan doesn't even have gay marriage legalized yet, so. So I'll see what y'all see what we got her on. Like, 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 like <laughs> just the just just the truth, the, just the bombs that's being dropped with each of these films. He's like, yeah, you know, and this film was inspired by this actress. I was like, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Usually I'm the one looking up background stuff. I was like, I didn't know this film was inspired by that actress and all this and all that. Like, uh, like movie time, time to do some research. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that comes with that degree. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's like for sure. Does. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. And also, it's it's fun to see Satoshi Khan, as you said, because it is adapted from a live action movie, a West American Western film with John Wayne to mm. take it into present day Tokyo anime film mm-hmm. film. So as you're saying, it was inspired by live action to go to anime again, again, which was very nice. Also, what did you guys think of the facial expressions in this film? Cause oh, I love I, how animated this movie is with everything. Oh, yeah. uh, even talking about uh, when Hannah is giving like the speech at the hospital to Jin about everything, just how animated her face is throughout the entire thing with like the little snide remarks and the side mm-hmm. eye. And <laughs> I, I, I like it. Um, it was on the train where um, Mayuki saw her dad, mm-hmm. like, and, and you see them looking at each other through the windows, and the whole time Mayuki is freaking out about what she's going to do when her dad, he's in the train the whole time trying to get out, like, hey, hey, hey. Like, you, you don't know who this guy is at this point. But, you know, I just love the expression on his face. And you're like, okay, something's, something's going down. I um I like the way that was drawn. I like how, like you said, like you, like, like snide faces and everything. Like, there was real... It, it it was animated, but it was animated with strong emotion. You know what I'm saying? I like that. And um, I just want to say, man, that uh, that final twist, that final act with the when they when they feel like they they just they find the mother. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, 
I love how Hannah Remember smacks her. Remember the one she stole the baby? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love how Hannah smacks her like, how could you leave the baby in the dump like that? And she's like, oh, no, it was my 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 husband's the reason and everything like that. And, and then you're like, oh, man, it's a great resolution. He, he's, you know, the baby's with his mom now. And then you find out, oh, no, they're not even the parents. I was like, man, it's just I love the twists and turns in this movie. And I love the final chase scene, too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, even talking about the scene on the bridge a little bit, I love how they basically were passing by and she's, you know, talking about if we don't get the, you know, baby back to its mother, you know, if if this was my situation, I'd be, you know, taking off my shoes neatly, stepping over a ledge and looking over at uh, the sweet release of death. And then in the background, you have somebody doing the exact thing. They save her, and then they pull her down and go, wait a minute, I recognize you. And Hannah's first thing is just smack. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, Hannah's best girl. She is always the best best character in this film. Of course, I love that you brought up just taking down, taking off my shoes nicely. Just because that's such a demurely Japanese female Mm -hmm. thing to do. Just like, oh, it's even there's, even there's, there's, their suicide was supposed to be demure because originally men would just do the seppuku where it's like in the gut, but women, mm-hmm. they have to do, do the throat slit, but they also have to, had to tie their knees together so they sit so they could fall in a nice pose. I was like, oh God, even your suicide has to be demure and ladylike. What is this? But, Gotta stay yeah. classy, even in death. <laughs> Yes, yeah, I look okay. at in some it. kind of twisted way. I think it's a. I look at it as a dig, a self dignity thing, and I go, okay. I mean, suicide is still sad, but okay, I guess. Like, I, I guess, I guess, I guess, do it with dignity in class. But I hear what you're saying. Like, even like like taking off the shoes. Yeah, yeah that 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 is wow. Um, I want to say uh, that final scene uh, where they where they're on the ledge. Like my my like this is an animated film. My heart kind of dropped. I'm yes. like, what is going on? Like the baby like and dropped baby like three times. <laughs> and like at some point it like dropped. No. <laughs> right. Then and then Hannah's the last one to get her. And you know, you think, you know, Hannah's about to fall. And then, you know, she gets on that thing. And this moment's a little random, but I, I said, okay, the sun just comes out. And then, then all of a sudden, she, the gust of wind picks up. Wind. <laughs> right. And she's just floating. It's, it's still a air. miracle. Yeah. Right. This it's baby has miracle. This baby has the luck of fools. Right? Like you just you just can't you can't take this baby down. For being a dumpster baby, it's got the best luck of anyone in the world. Exactly. exactly. It really does though. Exactly. It does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's like such a cute baby. Such I was just like, oh. And of course, Hannah's been truly blessed by God, as she said. I must have been blessed by God to be given a chance to be a mother when I never was. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, Hannah just wants to be a mother, and now she gets to sort of be as a godparent at the end. So you're like, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, what- that is. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. One thing I wanted to bring up with the facial expressions, I'm sure you guys noticed that Satoshi Khan, when he draws the characters, they look very much distinctly Japanese. They don't mm-hmm. look mm-hmm. like they're not going to look like Sailor Moon or or those other Sojo stuff like that, or even like Studio Ghibli style. And 
to the even to the point of exaggeration that the facial expressions almost look ugly at points which in i think in most anime is meant to denote to you're supposed to laugh at this character but i don't see that in satoshi khan's work i think we're supposed to also be humanizing with even the ugliest characters in his works which i find remarkable to watch and look at and it's kind of this rejection of the otaku culture mm-hmm. because otaku culture is all obsessed with that anime with like that pretty fight anime that Everybody, every character looks so similar, that same still style, kind of like the Disney princesses, except Japanese. So I find that very fascinating and interesting to watch in his work and that no character looks the same. There's no, except for Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress, there's no repeat of character faces and character bodies and everything. What do you guys think of that with his work? Oh, I absolutely love it because it does give great character to all the characters that are in this story. It's so easy to tell when that character's in the background or when they're the point of focus and everything like that. It's the unclean kind of animation style where, yeah, like you said, everybody looks very realistic. They have folds in their skin. They have moles. You know, the even little baby had the little mole on its forehead that it's showing up throughout in. It kind of is used as that point to tell you we're looking at this baby right now because we do have little flashback scenes and moments where we aren't seeing that baby, but that's the mark that we know that we're looking at Kyoko. So mm-hmm. the way that it plays around with that and everything like that, because even with uh, Miyuki, with mm-hmm. her kind of style of look, she does have a very clean face, but she's always wearing these very baggy clothes and this giant scarf and this, you know, big hat and everything. So she still has a very stylized appearance about her at the mm-hmm. same time. And that also foreshadows before when she lived at a house, she actually was overweight mm-hmm. and She's still wearing the clothes she wore when she ran away. They just have gone so bad because she's been starving on the street. Yeah, that reveal of the pictures of her when she was uh, living at home. I remember the first time I was watching this, it was kind of like that. Oh, wow. She she completely changed by being in the situation of homelessness. And when you slowly kind of realize her story as she's telling it to uh, the mother of the radicalist, where she had this cat and it disappeared and she blamed her father for the cat's disappearance and everything like that. And eventually, you know, got to a point where she stabbed him and then she felt like she couldn't return home after that. It's like, okay, that's it. it, it, They definitely humanize these characters with their backstories Mm -hmm. and making you go, okay, I can see why you feel that you don't have any place to turn to. And they mentioned like homelessness, you know, isn't always a choice, but to them Mm -hmm. it is a choice because it's the only choice that they think they have. Exactly. I I still feel like Jin didn't need to be there. Jin didn't, (laughs) yeah. I I still feel like he didn't need to be there. As as she said, they thought they didn't have a home, but no, they did. They always did. Yeah, all three of them always had a home. Oh, Wanted and the cat still came back and wanted and the detect and her dad who she even thought he's a policeman he's going to arrest me and everything, mm-hmm. right? Was wanted her home and wanted to know she was safe, and of course Hannah's Hannah's foster mom wanted her back, and of course yeah. 
And with his daughter saying, we missed you, we wanted you back and realizing that this whole time, because of your pride and stubbornness, you could have gone home, but you didn't because you just can't let yourself let yourself feel that that everything you did didn't really matter, I guess you could say, or that or that what your actions were worth forgiving because you couldn't mm -hmm. forgive yourself. Yeah, and I sure, love and that I it's with the baby, Kyoko, mm -hmm. that it's their selfless act of trying to bring this baby back home that they all find their respective homes themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I, I love how it ties itself up into a nice bow at the end where, um, you know, it, 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 it brings a real smile on my face where, like, the inspector is talking to the parents like, hey, you know, um, no, no, the parents tell him, hey, we would like to speak to the people who took care of our baby. You know, like, you know, we want to make them godparents. Mm -hmm. He says, uh, okay, well, you know, sure, okay. follow me. Sure, but they're and, homeless. Is that okay with you? We don't care. Right. I love, yeah. that. I, I love that lie. He says, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're homeless, you know. It's like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> like, you know. yeah, and, um, they saved our baby. <laughs> right, right. And uh, when he opens the door, he sees that it's his daughter. She's like, dad? And, you know, I like how the camera pans out. I was like, oh, man, that's sweet. Mm. I do feel, feel bad for Hannah being put in the men's ward like of the hospital. Like, oh, poor Hannah. She's like, this is the men's ward, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. <"Aw." laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if y'all all set, I'm, uh, I'm all set on this one. You got anything else y'all want to point out in the film before we move to the rating? Uh, basically just the banter between the three of them throughout the movie is always fantastic to hear as they kind of treat, uh, Miyoku Ryoki as kind of this little kid, even though she is an adult and everything like that. They always do that. Uh, even mm -hmm. when they're coming to the realization that, uh, they don't have any other options when it comes to the baby, how Hannah finally like admits she thought going to the police was a good idea the entire time. She just didn't want to let go of this moment to be able to, you know, be able to take care of a baby because it might be her only chance. Yeah. Mother. So yeah. And you know, one scene that always gets a laugh out of me is when they get to the one burned down building that's filled with cats and everything. And you have Jin going, you know, I, I would just love to eat meat for once. And immediately Miyoki is like, don't you dare and like throws an entire, you know, bookcase at her, uh, throws the book bag at him. Right. <laughs> While she's like holding her arms out, like across all the cats, like, don't you dare. <laughs> and foreshadows the love of her for her cat right there. And I'm yeah. also. And I love that Hana's desire to be a mother foreshadowed Sachiko's Sachiko, the the woman who kidnapped Kyoku, the baby, baby because of her miscarriage and her husband who was neglectful and didn't care about her anymore, more. And she just and she believed, and I think she believed that her love for life and her love for her husband would come back if she had a child and that didn't happen with the miscarriage. So she turns to desperate measures to have this baby, even this child, they, even this woman, they can't fault her or they can't be angry at her. It's, she's not doing this for like malevolent, like, Ooh, I must steal this child and everything like that. She's desperate and she's sad. And you kind of want to hug her too. Sachiko mm -hmm. is a lot like the homeless people, and they basically are because mm -hmm. you saw the when he's talking to the husband. There, it's a dumpster heap is their house, so they're it's the same exact dumpster heap like they are living outside, 
outside in the cold. And and I love the humanization that comes in for for Sachiko. And yes, you she's doing this terrible thing. She separated this baby from her parents and she's about to commit suicide with her. But you also you want to hug her and mm. you want to tell her that everything is okay. Life is still worth living, but you can't you can't ruin someone else's life just because yours was ruined too. Well, at the same time, all of her kind of you know, its sins are the same sins that the three main characters have with mm. her life being thrown apart by gambling, the loss of a loved one and the want for a baby that she can't have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I totally agree with y'all points. Um, yeah, man, I feel like off the first time watch, man, it's just a strong first time watch to me seeing this film. I gotta give it the uh I gotta give it the DFV five out of five, man. I, I think this this came off instant classic vibes to me. Brad Brad, what you got? Oh, this has been a five out of five since I first watched it. And one of the reasons why I've been like, pushing this one here. for <laughs> as long as I've been trying to push this movie out there to get it onto an episode. Yeah, it's it's a five out of five. I'm going to be different. I think mine's going to be a 4, 4.5. It's not a 5 for me. I, I really like more when Satoshi Gon goes into the more surreal, such as Paranoia mm-hmm. Agent and Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress. I really like that. But it still has that great social commentary he is just a master of. And I love that. And it's it's a great film. What else can you say in a Christmas classic? Oh, yeah. Awesome. All right, so I think uh, I think when it comes down head to head, we got we got Tokyo winning here. I think that's the uh, that's like the grade scale we got. Yeah, I think when it comes to Satoshi Khan and getting like a very good movie out there that everybody can enjoy, Tokyo Godfather's you know, like Molly said, is a Christmas classic, and it should everybody that has the moment of kind of going i need a new christmas movie that hasn't seen this you need to check it out immediately oh yeah i definitely would recommend it absolutely absolutely all right uh so quick after show topics uh i know you've seen it molly brad have you seen the sight and soul i mean the sight and soul (laughs) sight sight and sound uh top 10 films of the year i think it's i think they do top 100 but basically the consensus of the top 10 films of the year I have not seen it yet. Oh, well, I wish you would have saw it. Uh, <laughs> well, Molly, what's your what's your reaction to the new list that uh, that came out this year and like how how it's changed and put uh, Shantara Ackerman's Jill, Jean Dealman to the uh, not top number one spot? Jill Dealman. I think it's a very appropriate suggestion. Uh, somebody actually put it out very well that it is kind of like watching an ASMR at points of a woman peeling potatoes, cooking food, doing dishes at times. You're like, this is kind of an ASMR. Chantel Ackerman was predicting the future here with this. And also shining yeah. a spotlight on the female and what the female does with in her day-to-day life and having to do the washing, the cooking, and you really get the perspective that time is slowly, slowly passing, which a lot of people like, this is so boring and inaccessible. It's just, that's that's kind of the point is that it's supposed to be that way. 
there's this I know I have I have to give another shout out to Kate Bush here. There's this song she did called Mrs. Bartolozzi in her album Ariel. And people thought she went insane for it because the chorus is her going, washing machine, washing machine. And she's singing about putting clothes up and cleaning and wondering when her love is coming back and that the tumbling of the clothes of reminds her of her husband's clothes being cleaned in there and male critics were just okay she's gone completely insane right here we thought she was kind of insane before but she's gone full-on bonkers after this 12-year absence just singing about <laughs> washing machines and cleaning and right. all just like it's the exact same critique especially a lot of male perspective that male view that just why is this important why is this part of a woman's life important is and it's telling them that is telling women especially that these lives don't matter to them these points of view don't matter to them and that's that's the subconscious level of what they're saying even though they're saying it's boring why do i care if you're peeling potatoes or making right. a real cutlet or that's sort of thing but that's a life a lot of women have in this world. Even now when they're working full-time jobs, most women are still doing the cooking and the cleaning or predominantly doing that. So, and it's a great perspective to look at. And I'm glad that this movie is in it. It's a masterpiece. It's, I recommend everyone. It is. No, it, it is a masterpiece. I'll be real though. Like when I saw Jean, uh, Jean John Dillman in, uh, in college, uh, you know, we, I was in I was in a film class mm -hmm. and we were watching it like every time we went to this one room, where we screen it on this big screen. I was like, oh, we go into the screening room <laughs> you know, we today. Yes. And, the screening and, room. and, you know, we're watching it and I'm like, all right, we're seeing her go day to day, day to day. Mm -hmm. At some point, I'm like, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so about two hours in, I, I sneak out. And uh, one of my other professors who has like office just happens to have office hours at this point. I go into his office, start chatting with him a little bit. He's like, uh, he says, oh, y'all watching the movie today? What y'all watching? I'm like, Gene Dillman. He's like, oh, OK, now I know why you in here. I was, saying, I, was, I was like, I was like, I was like, bro, I like, I, does it does it go somewhere? He says, oh, no, it does go somewhere. You should stick with it. It goes somewhere. Mm -hmm. I was like, OK. So I finally went back in there. And as the film ended, I was like, you know what? Right, where she stabs the John who finally gave her pleasure for the one seeming moment of her life and she and it scares her so much she actually stabs him to death and you're like, Ooh right. <laughs> right. And it's like, you know, it's such a shocking moment, but like I remember walking away and thinking more about the film and then I rewatched it again and mm -hmm. I was like, Yo, this is a masterpiece because I feel like this is part of what cinema is. You know, cinema not only entertains you, it also challenges you, some ways provokes you. You know, it's different types of cinema, but I, I like how there is a routine going on here. And this is this woman's life, you know, and her white life slowly unravels day by day, of course. But um, yeah, I don't know about number one spot, though. But, you know, it's just it, it's it's opinions. You know, it, every like everyone has their own subjective opinion about cinema. But I do believe it is it's top 10 to top 20 to me. It is a masterpiece for what it is. Uh. Brad, I know you haven't seen the movie. No. I know we kind of we know. I know we. I know we ruined Sorry, some we things. Sorry, we it for you. But I'll still add it to the time, list. If you have some time in your day, check it out. It, it really is a very yes. influential movie. But um, all right, I think we're ready to uh, top it off here, Molly. If you want to plug some stuff, uh, tell the people where they can find you and your uh, in your work. 
All right. You can find me sometimes on the filmstage.com. I've de- I've done some trailer trailer write-ups and I've actually done a review and an interview for them. So that was great. And I also do on my own personal blog, Mollywood Writes at WordPress.com. And I'm also on Twitter where I will post most some about film, but a lot about Kate Bush. If you really like Kate Bush, definitely give me a follow. And I also have a letterbox too, just Molly Raz, Molly underscore raspberry. So if you want to check out my other opinions and see, see that, that's where I'll be. All right. Awesome. Uh, Brad, you got anything before we get out? Uh, nothing more to add for me. All right, y'all. It's been another great episode of DFV. Always remember to uh, watch cinema, like, share, and subscribe. Uh, take care. <laughs>